The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Today's episode is the conclusion of a three-part miniseries. If you haven't heard parts one and two, you might become a bit confused when the bullets start flying. I encourage you to go back and listen to Blood Packed Oblivion Parts 1 and 2 before venturing onward. Although I wrote this as an independent novelette length piece, its two main characters, Galen and Liv, have come alive in my mind like a pair of unlikely tenants. I think about them often. Their world has so much more to offer that I think someday down the road I might write a second installment. But for now, this will have to do. Like I said on the previous two parts of this series, I composed a soundtrack in three movements specifically for this story. I've been releasing parts of the soundtrack on the Fridays following their respective parts of the story. You can listen to this spaghetti western-inspired music by visiting my YouTube channel. Dang it, you might as well subscribe while you're there. I'm constantly adding new material to that channel. I'll put links to the first and second movements of the soundtrack in the description for this episode. Look for the soundtrack for this episode next Friday on YouTube at high noon. Like parts one and two, I don't want to take you away from the mood of the story before laying the song on you. Hence, I will roll straight into today's song at the end of the episode's performance. As usual, I'm exceedingly grateful that you have chosen to spend a few of your valuable minutes with me listening to terrifying lies. I consider you my friend. Well, enough dawdling now. Let's jump into it. I now give you Dead Pack Oblivion, part three of three, and the song Go Ride to the End of Days, all written, composed, and performed by me, Craig Nibel. I'll see you on the other side. Two of the afflicted dropped, fresh bullet holes in their chests. The god power from Jeffrey Myers' blessing, counterfeit as it may be, worked. The little 30 caliber Galen had plucked from the bean sack back at Liv's uncle's place became true. The fresh bullet wounds sizzled with power. The afflicted kept coming. Galen kept shooting. One after the other they dropped just inside the entrance. Galen shot his way to the opening and used the door to throttle their flow and to group them for easy targeting. At first, he fought alone, but Liv finally found the will to raise her weapon and enter the fray. The shotgun's effect surprised her. Now fixed with Galen's runes and rubbed down with blessed water, the thing wrought unexpected devastation, knocking the afflicted off their feet, felling them like pheasant or grouse. The things writhed on the floor, squirming and bucking for relief. Vapid tendrils rose from their wounds where the burning was the hottest. Galen knew that if he and Liv stayed in the church, they'd suffer a slow defeat. They needed to get into the open. Galen scanned the room for a way out. A rack of tapers and votive candles flickered against one of the walls. At least 30 of the short white candles were alight. Can you hold them? Galen shouted. I can, Liv said. She fired at another of the afflicted, a man wearing a pair of biballs and no shirt, 
Several symbols carved into his chest and arms. The man's shoulder exploded. He hissed. It should have been a glancing blow, but the wound bubbled and spewed vapor. Char spread out from the wound in a crisscrossing pattern through the torturous network of blood vessels beneath the man's skin. It wrangled back and forth as the corrosion spread. He collapsed and was trodden into the hard wood by the others. Galen ran to the votives, which were mounted on smaller hand-carved racks, probably crafted by a local carpenter. He picked up one of the racks of burning candles. The holy flames accelerated, becoming fist-sized balls as Galen turned around. The townsfolk backed away from the holy fire. Galen put the rack down and drew two of the candles from their mounts. Ignoring the dripping wax, he flung them into the hole. The fire ignited several of them at once. Galen tossed candle after candle into the fray, his hands blistering with burns. The church took on the fire. Flames spread across the wood floor and ignited the curtains. Swarms of heat crawled up the walls like a red and orange nebula, licking the roof and turning it black. Move, Galen shouted. He shoved Liv hard toward the door. She hunched her shoulders and ran for it, stomping over the writhing afflicted, using the crook of her elbow to protect her eyes from the fire. Galen trailed behind. As they reached the middle of the maelstrom, Liv tripped and lost hold of her shotgun. It fired as it clattered to the ground. Galen holstered his pistol and scooped up the shotgun, its metal burning his hand. He grabbed Liv by the back of her shirt and hoisted her up like a carpet bag and ran for the exit, sidestepping twisting bodies, ignoring the heat and the pain, carrying Liv and her weapon under one arm. Galen kicked through the front door of the church. These 20 afflicted had converged outside. They had waited, not moving to help their unfortunate kindred who had entered the now burning sanctum. The ones outside were opportunists, biding their time until their quarry came to them, out into the light. Galen spotted several inflicted who had continued along the path of desolation by half-carving manifold runes into their skin. Loopy seagulls scabbed across their flesh. He hip-fired with Liv's shotgun at the closest of them, a bald man with a long mustache, muscular and blank-eyed. He missed. The man came at him, raising his rune-carved arms, his lips peeling back into a sneer. Galen kicked the man in the knee. The joint gave way and his leg hyperextended with a crack. The flames cut through the church's exit like sword blades, crawling up the building, setting the porch alight. The afflicted climbed the stairs, coming in mass. Galen backed away from him to a rail that ran around the five-foot-high porch. Liv jerked out of Galen's grasp, Dunn being dragged around like an oversized doll. She stood up and brushed herself off. Half of her red hair lay matted against her head in a burned clump. Much of her face looked stained with char. She snatched the shotgun from him, wheeled around, and fired. Galen let her have at it while he took stock in their situation. With two shots, Liv dropped two of the afflicted. The blessed buckshot cut sizzling wounds into their flesh. With a half dozen kicks, Galen broke the rail that blocked their escape. He leapt down the five-foot porch and shouted up at Liv. She fired one more round and then jumped into Galen's arms. 
He helped her to the ground and looked over her. Fire had taken much of her childish beauty. The skin on the side of her face broke out into blisters from the heat. I'm all right, she said. Galen nodded. To the mercantile, now, Galen said. Liv ran. The afflicted came toward him, dismounting the porch, some using the stairs, some leaping from the breach in the railing. As he raced toward the sidewalk, Liv at his side, Galen drew his pistol and killed as many as he could. He reloaded on the run, slowing down just enough to make sure he could do the job without losing precious ammunition. He fired again into the throng, trying to split his attention between running and aiming. Liv stopped outside the door of the mercantile, two-story building located a half block from the church. Go inside, Galen shouted as he shot two more of the afflicted, one in the shoulder, the other in the chest. Liv pushed the door open, raised her shotgun, and entered the mercantile. Galen backed into the dim, keeping his revolver on the approaching enemy. Once inside, he slammed the door and put his back to it. Seconds later, the afflicted gathered on the raised sidewalk outside. They roared in a combined, confused wail as they pushed on the mercantile door, screeching and pawing, thumping and moaning. Galen scanned the room until he spotted a rack of farming tools. Get a shovel, he said. Liv retrieved the shovel and ran it to Galen. He whisked it from her and shot it like a bolt through the door handles. Cautiously, he backed away, raising his pistol. The afflicted shoved from outside, but the shovel held. Get upstairs where you can watch them, Galen said. I need to know where they're gathered and if more are coming. Liv nodded, started toward a staircase at the back of the mercantile. Hold on a second, Galen said. Let me take a look first. Liv rolled her eyes, but stopped at the bottom of the staircase. Galen hesitated for a snatch, keeping his eyes on the shovel, and for the moment, held the bucking door shut. He nodded once as he backed away, then turned and ran up the steps. Liv fell in behind him. The top floor consisted of a hallway and six rooms. Door by door, Galen cleared the floor, finding no afflicted. He left Liv in a second-story window with a good view of the street. A quick glance out the window revealed that more of the afflicted were on their way, coming from the alleys behind the buildings, walking along the raised sidewalks, exiting shops and houses on the outer rims of the little community. Split your watch between the front and the back of the building. I need to know how many, Galen said. Liv nodded. When Galen left her, she had opened her satchel, reloading her shotgun from a dwindling stash of shells. Galen searched the ground floor showroom. Looters had done their best, but there were still some stock in the shells. He found a stash of kerosene and metal containers stacked in the corner of the showroom. He also found several glass jars of preserved fruits and vegetables. He gathered the kerosene and food along the checkout counter. He put a handful of large mixing bowls on the countertop. He opened the bottles of preserves one by one and poured them into the bowls. He couldn't waste something as valuable as food. He made fire bombs by pouring kerosene into each of the empty preserve jars and fixing them with wicks made from towels he found in the cache of cleaning supplies behind the counter. 
He tucked three of the firebombs into the satchel and lit up the rest with a phosphorus match, which he struck on the countertop. With the fire bombs alight, he reloaded his pistol and made sure he had plenty of rounds within easy reach. He holstered the weapon and picked up one of the fire bombs. He moved to the front door. He offered a quick prayer in foreign language as he drew the shovel bolt free of its hasps. The inflicted, crushed against the door, fell into the mercantile over each other. The numbers had doubled since Galen and Liv had entered. Galen wished he'd brought some of the blessed votive candles from the church. Without them, he'd have to rely on unblessed fire as a weapon. He threw a firebomb at the floor just in front of the advancing afflicted. The bottle shattered. Its deadly contents spilled over the wood slats and became a pool of flame. The conflagration enveloped a handful of the inflicted, setting them ablaze, a mass of flailing death. The crushing numbers, pushing from the rear, forced their forerunners into the fire. Galen ran behind the checkout counter and picked up two more firebombs. He threw them, aiming his shots for maximum damage. More of the advancing mass walked alight, immediately engulfed in the heat and agony. Galen! Liv shouted from upstairs. There are so many! More than one of the afflicted heard Liv's voice come down from the top floor. A faction of them peeled off and ran toward the stairs. Galen swore under his breath and threw one of the firebombs toward the base of the stairs. The jar exploded into a wash of flame. Most of the afflicted burst ablaze at the base of the stairs. One of them, probably a farmer, judging by his sun-ruined skin, made it past the conflagration with minimal injuries and mounted the staircase. Galen drew his pistol and fired at the old farmer. He cursed as he missed with his first two rounds, but he hit the farmer in the shoulder with his third. The wound bloomed into a boil of holy poison and spread into the old farmer's blood. The old farmer continued up the steps. Liv fired from the upper floor, hitting the old farmer in the chest. The farmer wheeled backwards and toppled down the staircase into the kerosene ruin. I can't get down, Liv shouted. I'm coming to you, Galen shouted over the roar of flames, which were spreading rapidly throughout the building. Go to the back room. Galen scooped up as many of the remaining firebombs as he could carry and ran through a corridor in the back of the showroom. He heard the footsteps of the afflicted behind him, the ones who'd managed to skirt around the fire. Galen would see to it that none of them would get out of the mercantile. He kicked the back door of the store open, ran into the sun, and wheeled around. A throng of afflicted came at him. He threw one of the firebombs at the floor in their path. The bomb exploded, watching them in heat and violence. None of them made it through the flames. Galen stood near a livery behind the mercantile, probably a place where customers could tie their horses and possibly stable their animals for extended periods of time while they went about their business in Bannock. He heard horses kicking and whinnying, spooked by the flames. A handful of wagons sat outside the livery, probably mercantile rentals. Galen! Liv shouted from above. He looked up and spotted her in a second-story window, the glass broken out, the orange light of flames backlit her. She probably had less than a minute before the flames reached her. 
Galen put the fire bombs in one of the smaller wagons, a hitch, and bed not much larger than a coffin. He trotted up to the base of the building and looked up and lived. She leaned out of the window, half of her hair burned away, soot besmirched on her face. Much of it ran down her brow and cheeks from sweat and tears, giving her a sickly appearance. To me, Galen shouted, holding out his arms. Jump, now. I don't know if I can, she shouted. Jump or burn, it's your choice. Liv swallowed. She swung one leg over the windowsill, then the other. She sat that way for a moment, gaping down. Jump. She closed her eyes and pushed off. Galen moved in, arms out. She hit him hard, almost falling right through his grip. He caught her with one arm, but lost her with the other. She sidled off kilter. Galen collapsed, wincing under the impact. Liv felt something snap in the fall. She whined out a pain, sobbed, brought her arm up against her breast. What is it? My wrist. It hurts. Liv held up her arm. Can you move your hand? Liv tried to wiggle her fingers. Only her thumb and the first two fingers of her left hand complied. Galen cursed. He scooped Liv up into his arms and plucked up her shotgun. He moved to the small wagon and laid her in the bed. Can you shoot? Galen asked. I think so. Galen gave her the shotgun and left her. He moved into the livery. Liv sat up in the wagon and tried to raise the shotgun. She couldn't grip with her wounded left hand. She placed the stock on the back of her left arm, let her left hand go limp, wincing as she positioned the weapon. Her aim might be off, but at least she could still fire. She looked up, the big mercantile building. Fire burst from the window from which she had jumped. The flames had begun to blacken the roof of the tavern next door. Several buildings along Main Street interlinked, forming a long block of fuel for the fire. Liv suspected they might all go up. Galen came out of the livery with a horse and tack. He hitched up the wagon, looking up only once when he heard shuffling footsteps come from a nearby alley. A handful of afflicted had found him. A few had reached advanced stages of their condition, begun the fanatical self-carving. Runes and gashes and scars covered most of their exposed flesh. As Galen hitched the horse, Liv raised her shotgun. She aimed as best she could, resting the stock on the back of her bad arm. She drew a bead on the leader of the group, Dan Siskel. He worked at the bank. Liv didn't like Dan. Her father borrowed money from the bank to keep the farm going, and Dan had been shrewd when it came to collecting. But there wasn't much of Dan left in the afflicted man coming at her from the alley. He'd removed his shirt and used a knife to carve a patchwork of, what were they, scriptures? In his flesh, his hair, usually immaculately kept, flecked out, mussed up, crazed. Liv pulled the trigger. The gun kicked against her shoulder. She hit Dan in the leg. He collapsed. The others moved around him. Liv fired again, dropping Sally Dearden. She owned a piano, one of the only three in town. At one time, Liv had wanted to take lessons from Sally, but her father couldn't afford it. Piano teacher arched over, a new wound puckering from her flesh. 
Galen finished hitching the horse and jumped up into the driver's seat. He snapped the reins and shouted out a whoop. The horse moved, dragging the wagon forward at a lope. Galen drew his pistol and fired into the mob of afflicted ahead. He hit two of them with three shots. The wounds sizzled with the god power Galen had bestowed on his weapon. He snapped the reins again as the wagon neared the afflicted. The horse barreled through, knocking him out of the way. One of the afflicted reached at Liv. The man grabbed the hem of her skirt and pulled. She smacked his arm as hard as she could with the barrel of her shotgun. The man screamed and withdrew his hand. Galen left the mob and drove the wagon along several buildings before finding an alley wide enough to make a turn. He slowed down and urged the horse into the alleyway. He spoke over his shoulder to Liv as the wagon cut toward Main Street. Do you understand that the only way to save them is to put them down? Yeah, Liv said. Then I need you to use those firebombs. I'm going to the end of town. I need you to throw them at the buildings. Make sure your aim is true. I will, Liv said. The little wagon exited the alley and moved onto Main Street. Many more afflicted waited. Some stood on sidewalks. Others, the more advanced victims, ran from building to building, pulling shop doors open, undoubtedly searching for Galen and the girl. At the end of the street, the church had become a bonfire. A collection of intertwining corpses covered the front stoop, slick and black. The heat had taken a few others down, the ones who'd been nearest to the church in the crush. Flames from the church spread to two of its adjacent buildings. Galen pushed the wagon to the end of town, the buildings that hadn't touched the fire. He made a U-turn. The inflicted approached in packs and clumps. There must have been 50 or 60 of them. Most likely, the entire population of Bannock had succumbed to the spiritual illness of the quorum. Galen recognized the rage in their eyes and the cuts in their skin. He smelled their rot and body odor. Once the quorum visited communities like Bannock, once priests like Jeff Myers made their deals with the corrupted ones, the afflicted became omnipresent, spreading like the sickest disease. Galen glanced over his shoulder at Liv. Get ready, he said. Liv nodded. Galen loaded their weapons as the afflicted moved toward them. Liv sat facing forward with her back against a tailgate. Galen swung out of the wagon and drew a bag of phosphorus matches he'd taken from the mercantile from his breast pocket. He flicked one of the matches on the iron wagon tire and used it to start up a second match. He handed one to Liv and began lighting the firebombs sitting in the bed next to her. She followed suit, touching off the fabric wicks Galen had planted into the jars. Keep your aim true, Galen said. I'll do my best to cover you. Galen took Liv's shotgun. The shot, she shot him an angry glare, but the look in Galen's eye said she could trust him. He mounted the driver's seat, laid the shotgun at his feet, and snapped the reins. The horse moved off at a trot. Galen drew his pistol. Lived through the first firebomb at Madame Beam's, Maddox's only seamstress shop. The kerosene spread across the storefront in a splash and went up. 
Didn't take more than a few seconds for the wood to catch a fire. Galen kept the wagon close to the sidewalk so Liv could calculate her throws. Jar by jar, she set the buildings a bannock aflame. The wagon drew its course just ahead of a trailing mob of inflicted. They gnashed and pawed at Liv from behind, just out of reach. She kept her eyes on the buildings and on the bombs lined up along the bed of the wagon next to her. A man wearing a bowler hat came out of the barber shop, his arms extended, his hands fixed into claws. Galen dropped him with two shots. Liv followed up with a firebomb. When they reached the tavern, fallen in wreck of a building, two men, probably brothers, sprinted out of the bat wings. They cut across a slatted sidewalk and sidled up to the wagon. Galen shot one of them in the forehead and kicked the other down. The man crumpled under the iron wheel. The wagon left him behind in the dirt, broken, reaching for Galen and Liv. His face crunched into a snarl. Took two passes for Liv to exhaust the rest of the bombs. The sweltering heat threatened to choke both of them as Galen drove the wagon for a final pass before leaving back. Liv watched the town burn as she trundled back and forth in the bed of the wagon. The flames knifed upward in 30-foot blades. Black smoke mushroomed from the conflagration, besmirching the sky with its melanin char. Something exploded, probably the remainder of the kerosene cache back in the mercantile. A load of debris jettisoned upward, as she watched the town burn, Liv wondered about what Galen had said. Was killing them truly the only way to save them? Or was there something else she could have done? She scooted her bottom to the front of the wagon and rested against the sidewall. She closed her eyes, no longer wanting to watch the flames curl over the only home she'd ever known. Canyon camp. Galen finished hitching the gelding he'd taken from the livery to his own horse. He packed his belongings. Liv sat on a gnarled Joshua tree and watched him work. What about me? Liv broke the silence. Do you think you could ride without wrist? He said, not bothering to even glance up from his work. Liv held up her arm and tried to wiggle her fingers. She managed to painfully move her thumb and forefinger, swelling and set in. Her wrist looked like a knot in a knucklebone tree. I don't know. Galen turned from his work and looked down at her. Tears streaked her sooty face as she crunched up her brow in concentration, trying to get her fingers to move. I can set it for you, Galen said. Without a word, she offered him her wounded limb. It'll hurt. She nodded. Galen crouched and took her hand in his hickory palm to grip. You're ready. The bitter lip and snapped off a quick nod. 
Galen used his fingers to feel deep into the wound. Liv wailed while he worked, kicking and slapping the ground with her good hand, writhing and threatening to roll out from under him. After a quick diagnosis, Galen snapped the bones into place. Galen laid her hand in her lap, stood up, and went back to work. Liv cried. Galen waited for her sobbing to ebb off, then he spoke. You think you can keep up? Liv swallowed her pain, put on her bravest face. I can ride better than you. Galen's face cracked into a smile. He looked off into the horizon. His smile faded. Whole world's gone to hell. Don't expect I'll be living much longer the way I'm going. There's nothing for me here now, Liv said. Galen looked down at Bannock. Now a wild conflagration. All heat and smoke and hell. He allowed himself a moment to reflect on better times. He looked down at Liv, she stared back at him. Two white eyes buried in a black, sooty face, her charred hair encrusted to her head. I'll help you with your gear. We'll ride another four hours today before we make camp, Galen said. Liv used her good hand to push herself up to her feet. She walked to Galen and put her arms around him. She held him close. For a moment, Galen stood there, awkwardly, his hands up, caught off guard. In the end, he conceded and put his arms around the girl's back, returning her hug. I'll see if I can find somewhere safe for you to live, Galen said, but he made no promises, and he didn't tell her that it all was going to be okay. This has been Dead Packed Oblivion and Go Ride to the End of Days, written, composed, and performed by Craig Nibel. Be sure to come back on the first and third Fridays of every month at high noon for more terrifying lies. Until next time, Sweet nightmares. This has been the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Please come again. You're welcome here. <laughs> <laughs>